Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg Live. It's the best night of the week, or the month, I guess, as it is these days, because we get to take a chance to look at life uh, behind the curtain and talk about the causes of things, the purpose of things, the reality of things, and which things, I don't know. You're going to ask the questions. We're going to do our best to discuss and maybe answer them and see what happens it's going to be a lot of fun with me. Oh, I'm Curtis Childs, and I am going to be your host. And with me are two extraordinary theologians and just uh, tra- traversers of great knowledge, the landscapes of great knowledge. Okay, that's the end of my vocabulary. First up is Jonathan Rose. Jonathan, how are you doing today? Hey, Curtis, I'm doing uh, really well. It's so fun to be part of this um, live show. It's always an exciting thing. And um, I'm having a good, I'm sort of enjoying the fall. You know, it's uh, the weather's shifted a little bit after the equinox and and it's a poignant time of year. So I'm glad to be here. Get those fall feelings. When you were, I felt like I always start to remember falls from my childhood when it comes like can be very potent all right well i know you're in a good headspace so i'm looking forward to how that affects your output today and then joining us as well is karen childs hey karen how are you hi i'm doing great it's uh was a beautiful day here in the chicago area warm enough to wear shorts but a cool nip of a breeze feeling fall coming and uh we went on some beautiful nature walks over the weekend with some friends, and yeah, it's it's been a good day, and I'm so happy to be here. Awesome! All right, well, we're excited to. I'm excited to have both of you, and I'm excited to have all of you in the audience because, as I said, we are going to be taking all of our material tonight from you. Before we get there, though, I want to talk about the Swedenborg Summit Challenge. We have a fundraising challenge going on right now, which is called Up the Mountain the Swedenborg Foundation Summit Challenge. We usually <clears throat> have a fundraising goal on this show and we were not for profit. So we have to rely and we get to rely on donations from current people like you. This time it's all about the Summit Challenge. You can see here, we are trying to, over the course of this challenge this month, raise $10,000 because there was a very generous donor couple who donated $10,000 and said it was a matching grant. So if we can raise that money, we'll get the match and the dollars. And we're getting really close. So any money that you donate during the show today goes directly into the Summit Challenge. We're about $1,000 off. That's a lot for tonight. But we're going to do the games no matter what. We usually have these games that we get to if we reach a certain number. We're going to do those no matter what. So you can just think, look, I'm going to help move that thermometer move the needle. I guess it's not a needle. And you're going to make the the programming that we do possible. So any donations that you do go towards getting us to that goal and they'll be matched as part of that $10,000 matching. So your donation goes twice as far. A lot of people have already donated. As you can see, we're most of the way there. Here's a little list of everybody who's made this thing happen. Thank you. I'm not going to read all of your names, but doesn't mean you're not all awesome. Pause it, screenshot it, post it, tag yourself in it. And actually, that's not even everyone because the, the donations, thankfully, keep coming in. So we've, ha- we've had a couple names come in even after we made that graphic. So, Karin, would you 
tell us who else we want to thank. Yeah, thank you so much to everyone who was on that list. It means so much to us. You're really helping us out. And seven more people's names came in after we made that graphic. So thank you also to Nathan Gladish, Julie Hilton, Alexander Waddle, Billy Beatty, Kristen Bernardi, Florence Gostin, and Louise Rose. Thank you so much. I, absolutely. And there's another way for us to say thank you. When we... Oh, were those names on the graphic as well? Okay, great. It, it may have been that you... Oh, oops. <laughs> Last I knew, they weren't on the name yet. This was thank the, you, doubly. Things are happening. You get an extra thank you. Oh, one more thank you that we're going to do is at the end of the month when the promotion ends, we're going to raffle off an original painting by Frank Rose, who his story was the inspiration for this whole thing. So you could come away with this one of a kind piece of art as well. All you got to do to be entered into that and help move our thermometer and do everything we we're just talking about is go to authorlefteye.com slash donate like you usually do. Uh, and let's make this happen. Okay. Right. So start answering your questions in the chat. If you're hanging out on YouTube, what do you want to talk about? Write it in there. And that's what the meat of the show will be. Also, get your thought brings presence entries in. So that, that is a part of the show at the end where we honor people who have moved on from this world, but are still very much alive. So this is any kind of memorial you want to write up for somebody that you're thinking of today, enter it in the chat there. And we'll, we'll have a little time at the end to read them and, and acknowledge one of the central tenets of Swedenborg's message, which is life goes on. People are still people, even if they've left their physical bodies. Okay, let's do it. Let's get to our first question. This is from The Cube, who asks, is there food in the spiritual world? Why would we need food in this life, but not in spiritual life? So the spiritual world, if you haven't never heard of Swedenborg, is the, the blanket term that he gives to everything outside the physical world. This is where you go. This is where your spirit lives right now, but it's where, where you your consciousness wakes up when you when you die, when you cross over, like we were just talking about. Yeah, do you get hungry there? Do you have to snack? Are there Cheetos there? Karin, what do you think? Um, Swedenborg reports that there is food in the spiritual world. He talks about food being there and people enjoying banquets and things, um, but he emphasizes the real food for our spirits is goodness or love and truth or wisdom. And those are, uh, you know, the feelings that come from love and the thoughts that come from divine truth and filter down through the layers to wherever you are in the spiritual world. That is the real food that nourishes our spirit. And it does take form, you know, everything in the spiritual world uh, takes form as very real things around the people there. For instance, their states of mind actually take form as houses and gardens and you know landscapes and animals and things around them and so food is among the things that uh, people have manifest um, in their environments there in the spiritual world but I think the difference is here in the physical world where no matter what our state of mind we're kind of dependent in a very physical material way on food to keep these physical bodies going and it's it's not that kind of dependence in the afterlife. We we just get what we need in this life. We can maybe not have 
the food we need um, due to outer circumstances in the afterlife, um, what we need is provided and what we're, we're open to is provided. Um, so it's a more of a top down, you know, from the inside out situation, whereas in this world, it's more from the outside in, if that makes any sense. <laughs> so there are some beginning thoughts. So it's almost like a, a more plant-like existence that you're able to get what you need where you are almost almost from inside. So fascinating, cool opening to think about the parallels, but also the differences in the world that Swedenborg describes. Jonathan, what, what do you think? Yeah, I agree with that. And um, there are very interesting descriptions of, um, as Karin said, of feasts in the other world. Uh, there's one feast that's described where a group is visiting the leader of a society and everything uh, or most of the things on the table are made out of creative combinations of bread and wine, which are very meaningful substances to Swedenborg um, from the idea of the Eucharist or the Holy Supper communion. Um, but it sounds like they're sort of creative with, you know, they can make like pastries or, you know, things like that. Uh, hopefully, you know, no um, celiacs or, you know, alcohol allergies or anything in the other world. Um, the uh, He also talks about uh, different kinds of food, like really exquisite food for higher uses and more sort of ordinary fare for lower uses. And I, at first this struck me as sort of strange, but I, I think uh, after a while reflecting on it, I think we actually already know a little bit of that feeling of the food because it always comes, he's very clear about it, in response to something useful we've done. Uh, and often when you do something in this world, you you do get a little delight or sort of a warm feeling or some time off of the relentless, you know, head bullies or, or something. You, you get some little reward. And, and I think that's a little taste of that heavenly food. I'm thinking of the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness, that uh, they needed food and food literally sort of descended out of the sky. And they called it manna because manna is a Hebrew word meaning, what is it? When you first taste spiritual food, you, what, what is this? I don't, I don't get it. Um, it. It's an acquired taste. Um, so it's fun to think about those things being um, satisfying. I just read a passage the other day that said that um, spirits eat truth, like they, they learn the way we eat. They, they have a tremendous appetite for learning. And I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because we sometimes use analogies like that. We'll say that a talk was very nourishing or, or satisfying or, or say, you know, that was quite a meal or, or that sort of thing. And, and uh, so it's interesting, too, to think about just what your appetite is like and how you take in information of, of different kinds. So it's fun to think about that spiritual food and even try to identify in our experience now, are we already tasting that in our in our spirits in a, in a way? So, great question. Thanks, Jonathan. A couple of things there I want to touch on in response to the points you brought up. First, I just want to say a quick thank you. Gail made a donation. Thank you so much, Gail. In honor of Lynn Donald Lemieux, 
So our total is now $9,079. And I see that Cara donated as well. I haven't got the details of that one yet, but I can't wait to read them. Um, a couple of things. I, I never, I don't feel like I ever heard about that, the wine and bread banquet. But immediately I'm thinking, well, restaurant idea. There must be some way you could, if you can really make those courses. But what you said about feeling fed by being of use really struck me because I feel like I've been experiencing that recently. Just today, I was doing some filming for upcoming YouTube videos. They will be back. And I felt like, and I don't always feel like this, but I felt like I did a good job in that take that we just did. And I left the session feeling um, like, yeah, this is great. And I, I was absolutely fed by that. I, you could, the energy that you get, I think, when you feel like, oh, I'm doing the thing that I'm good at doing. That can really be food. Because I've noticed like when I feel a little bit low energy and kind of at a loss for what direction to go and I'm struggling to get things done, a lot of the time, if something goes right in you know my job or the things I'm trying to do with my life, I will feel this absolute uplift. Like I, I'm, I have the kind of energy that you get when you eat a snack when you're hungry. So I, I love that. Um, okay, so we had Kara gave in honor of Annika. So our total is now nine one seven. Nine. Well, thank you so much. Karen, what, what do you think about all this? Well, thank you, both of you, for the donation. Um, yeah, I love what you guys are saying about we can feel a little bit of that in this world when we've done something that feels satisfying or had a, had a satisfying um, experience. And also the thirst thing, like spiritual thirst and, and drink, when you are thirsty for knowledge and you, and you come across something that really resonates and makes sense and you just go, ah, it's like getting a cold drink, <laughs> you know, a, a refreshing drink. And that, yeah, that's the impression I get of how it works in the afterlife, that the food comes as a result of, of uh, having done something that makes a positive difference and having engaged in something really spiritually satisfying and it manifests in food. It's interesting that there was a story Swedenborg told about imaginary heavens where people just imagined heaven as the whole point was food, you know, thinking in a very earthly way of feasting and feasting. And they just got sick of it. Like it was so unsatisfying and un, um, you know, unpleasant after a while. But just to have it flow in the right way in the afterlife and in heaven, it's when you've done something that really makes a positive difference or engaged in something loving that feels so good and it can manifest in just really lovely, satisfying food. And one last thing I'll add, it's just fascinating to me that uh, Jesus kind of um, showed us a picture of this too, in that uh, the feeding of the 5,000 story that he kind of brought the spiritual world in for a little bit where he had been teaching people and they had been listening and, and taking in what he was offering. And then all this bread and fish and miraculously multiplied. So I, I see that as a little demonstration of how it is in the spiritual world, like that kind of nourishment, spiritual nourish, nourishment uh, manifests into food. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about in Swedenborg's writings about how the joy when one angel does something nice for somebody else that the joy grows for both of them. So there's this like multiplying 
effect. And I could see that with the, the, the food of happiness that the more people are helping each other out, it's like this exponential growth. It's not a zero sum. Okay. Well, if you have some, then I don't have it. It's like together we make more, which is exciting. Uh, we had a couple of gifts come in. I want to say thanks to Christy and then thanks to Ida. And so now we're at 9,279. We are zooming up towards our our goal for the month. Thank you so much, everyone. Great question. Appreciate it, the cube. Let's let's move on to question number two. This is Matthew Bush, who asks, "What happens to a church when it ends?" And Swedenborg has a pretty complex definition of that word, church, in the sense that Matthew Bush seems to be referring to it. It is uh, sort of a, a phase of human spirituality. Swedenborg talks about these different distinct eras that the human race has gone through when there was particular church that was serving the vital function of connecting God to earth. But he says these things do have a life cycle and they do, once they've been corrupted by negativity, they do die. What happens then? Jonathan, do you want to weigh in on this? Sure. I'd love to. Um yeah, it brought to mind a uh, this question brought to mind a, a passage that I uh, worked on for True Christianity um, that was so stunning to me, and I haven't had a chance to think about it much, but I did have a moment to find it here. It's in True Christianity three eighty five, and uh, one one short story is that uh, faith or truth, quote unquote, takes over from love. Like the first thing that happens is that love, the the love goes south, you know, so to speak, and and uh, and when truth comes to dominate, it gets uh, corrupted. I'm thinking of the shows that uh, you and I did, Curtis, a while ago about the four horsemen in the apocalypse, because right. that has something to do with this too. That that sequence. Here's what Swedenborg says in True Christianity three eighty five. Um, People know from the word that faith without goodwill is dead, but I will say where that death comes from. That death is from the cold. Faith dies of the cold like a bird in a severe winter. First, its vision dies. Then its ability to fly. And finally, its breathing. Then it falls headfirst off its branch into the snow and is buried. Just an amazing kind of little, you know, Swedenborg isn't quite, I mean, he was a poet when he was younger, but you usually don't get quite that level of poetry from Swedenborg. But I think it, it's interesting, isn't it, to think about are those meaningful stages? Uh, nothing Swedenborg talks about seems meaningless. So the fact that the vision goes first, you know, some kind of spiritual sight, that's what the name means of off the left eye. Does that go first to where you um, you lose that sight. You can't tell what truth is. You can't tell what love is. You can't tell who your neighbor is and all that. And then um, uh, it's breathing goes. Was that it next? And um, no, there was another one in between. The there, there? fly, I think you said. The flying, that's right. Yeah, which seems like a spiritual, you can't soar anymore up in that spiritual realm. And uh, and finally, it just kind of suffocates and it freezes and drops off the branch into the snow and is is buried. Um, I found that kind of a heart wrenching description. 
Now, Swedenborg does say that this kind of thing happens on scales large and small, and there's always a, a resurrection that, that's possible. The Lord's always looking for a, a resurrection when this happens. But uh, that's some kind of little poetical description of the stages that a, that a church goes through when it dies. Yeah, I, that's, that's a really powerful piece of imagery there, and which I don't feel like I ever read, although I'm sure I've read that part of the book before, but it just things jump out at you. And I really, that's a nice crisp translation by your team. And it seems like it's, it's really kind of teetering past just imagery and into direct correspondence because all those things that fail for the bird are things that Swedenborg says have to do with the intellectual side of things. And there's, there's faith and love and faith is the intellectual side. And a bird, first of all, is a symbol of the, the thought, thought related things in the mind. And, and is a, so is a symbol of faith, but then the sight he talks about sight being, you know, spiritual equivalent uh, of sight is understanding. So that, that goes. And then flight, which he often talks about how the intellect can fly up like a bird and, and see what's below. Even if we, in our, in our ego, in our emotions, we can't be bigger than an issue. We can understand, okay, yeah, I, I need to not act like that, even though I don't feel it. But then the breathing, which he talks about, the, the correspondence of the lungs with the intellect and the heart with the volition. So the breathing stopping there, this is this picture of all the levels of the thought-based side of religion shutting or you losing all the advantages that religious insights would give you because it's all frozen by this lack of love. So I, I, that's, that's so great. Good. Um, I want to say that um, Martha made a contribution. Thank you so much, Martha. It was in honor uh, in memory of Sid. Thank you. And we appreciate you honoring Sid here. Karin, uh, what, do, what do you think about uh, that, the bird story or, or the, uh, the end of the church or any of the above? Yeah, that was cool imagery that you read, Jonathan. That was great. And yeah, what you're both saying, it's, it's true that the core of it, why a church would die is always because the love is gone, because uh, love is life. Real life is the love that comes from God. And when people have the, the way to keep a church alive, to keep anything alive is to stay connected to that love of the love that comes from God, which is love of everybody, you know, it's, it's mutual love. And a, a church just means a way people relate to God. Swedenborg talks about these huge sort of eras of, that he calls churches, which was when humanity was in a certain stage of a way of relating to God. And that was doing well for a while, but then it slowly lost the love and, and then it's gradually dying and it needs uh, to be revived with a new kind of church, a new way of relating to God. And, um, and you can also, uh, so he talks about these big eras, spiritual eras that he calls churches. You can also just look around and just think of organizations, just little church organizations that come and go, you know, denominations and this and that, and some last longer and some uh, don't last as long. But you can always think, also think about your own stages of faith that you go through in your own life. Your own personal church is changing all the time. You, you'll have a like a childhood uh, church, a childhood faith 
that works for a while, but then you grow and you need a change like that, just that, like no questions asked, just doing what you were, <laughs> you know, believing what you were told that, you know, you kind of lose, lose the love in that as you should, because you need to move on to something else. So it's uh, not always a, a bad thing. I mean, it, losing the love is always, you know, is a bad thing, but sometimes there's a way a church is just needing to be replaced. Like it's time that, that time, that way of relating to God, the time to relate to God in that way is over and you need uh, to move into a new, a new church, a new way of relating to God that would be filled with some new love and some new life. Uh, life. So that's another way to think about it. Kind of a, a natural cycle that religious epochs go through and looking at Matthew's question here, what happens to a church when it ends makes me think, that the church that Swedenborg's father was in, that Swedenborg was in, the, the Protestantism of his day, Swedenborg said that it was dead at the time. He said that the Christian church had died because it had lost its focus on love. And you can, there's, there's certainly a lot of records of all kinds of horrific things done by various Christian churches in that era. So what happens to it? Well, Swedenborg describes the last judgment, which he says happened in was 1757, right? And there's this whole rearranging of tons of the spiritual world. These really dramatic scenes play out where there are mountains falling down into holes. And we, we've done several dramatic depictions of that here on our channel. And so when that happened on earth, the Christian church vanished out of existence. No, it just kept going. And he said... What's going to change from now on, you'll barely notice it, but what's going to change is people will have more spiritual freedom to think. So a lot of the forms of Christianity have, have lived on for, you know, for the past 200 years. And you see a lot of them with, with yes, there's, there's a lot of issues there, but some of them are, are, seem to be very full of love. So it seems like even a, a church can end and a new one can begin. Swedenborg would say we're, we're in an, a new religious era, but how that exactly plays out in the, the external forms of religious organizations. It, it can be very subtle at times. Uh, it can be, it, it can be dramatic too, but, but there's a number of churches that Swedenborg has said have passed away, but yet persist in the world. And I'm sure are experiencing sort of new life. Like when a, if a tree falls, but then you've got these new shoots that come up out of the stump. I want to say thanks to Samuel who gave in honor of Laura and said, thanks guys, Godspeed. Thank you, Samuel. And thanks for sharing a bit of Laura with us. And then we had a gift from Stephen as well. So we are really zooming along. Thank you everybody. If you want to get in on helping us try to reach our summit challenge goal for this month and receive that matching grant, go to off to left.com slash donate. Oh, I'm seeing like people are donating right as I'm talking about it. Stephanie made a contribution. Thank you so much. I'll be waiting for a few details on that. Let's get to the next question. See if we can squeak it in here before the half hour. Boyan Han asks, what is the equivalent of the scientific method in the spirit world? If we have that technique in this world, then people can actually verify spirit mechanisms using spiritual science. Yeah, is, uh, is the... Afterlife, just a bunch of unmeasurable stream of consciousness style, uncategorizable phenomenon, 
or and we're the studious ones here or is there is there order to, to study there as well jonathan i'd love to hear what you have to say well it's very striking that um swedenborg's day job for so long before he got this spiritual gig was um as a scientist uh what they call the natural philosopher uh investigating anatomy mineralogy all, all kinds of things very familiar with that uh method and um and he seems to carry it kind of seamlessly into the other world and he seems to speak of a number of people in that other world who are also practicing that method. One of the things uh, that our viewers may know about Swedenborg's description of the spiritual world is that it's an honest world. See, in this world, when you do surveys and things like that, you, you can't really tell. Are people lying to me or are they just saying what I want to hear? Or maybe you change the question, you get a different response and, you know, it's always hard to tell how much can you rely on surveys and polls and things like that. In the spiritual world, when you're dealing with an honest world, it fascinates me that Swedenborg a number of times talks about just what I would call statistics and statistics regarding what's going on in our world from the perspective of that world. So he'll say something like um, that amongst scholars, and theologians in this world, um, scarcely a, a certain, you know, he'll say uh, fewer than 40% will have any belief in God. And most of those are, um, think they believe in God, but they, but they really don't. The, the actual number uh, is extremely small, you know, so they can look at a thing like that and see behind the scenes and do studies. There are also crazy descriptions that he has of, it almost seems like he and the angels are horsing around with it. I don't know quite how else to say it, but they'll pull up an evil spirit and they'll show how, because the evil spirit has no cerebellum, you know, because that's the the will or the love of good that's supposed to be back there. And so they, they won't have that organ in their head uh, that you can talk to them from behind and they'll say the opposite of whatever you said. And he'll just call up an evil spirit and say, look at this, check this out. And he'll say something. And then they say the opposite. And, you know, it's weird. It's a weird kind of experimentation. It seems kind of dehumanizing in a way, but, but, uh, but it seems to happen a lot. Uh, he sees experiments in which people's connection with the spiritual world, with other societies in the spiritual world are, are cut off. And they fall as if dead. You know, they just drop kind of lifelessly. And and so it, the way he describes the other world, there's a lot of experimentation. And um, so it, the, the method doesn't seem to me very different. You know, try this, try that. And one final thought on that is that he does encourage us to, he doesn't use these exact words, but what I would say and a friend of mine who recently passed away would, was fond of saying, look it up in yourself. I mean, Swedenborg will say, look at your thoughts, look at your feelings. Can you not see that, you know, this or that? And, and he encouraged you to run your own home experiment to see uh, whether you see these things reflected in your own thoughts and feelings and, and how they work. So I love this. I, I can't, words can't even describe how much I love this marriage of the scientific method with 
spirituality and, and religion. I, I think it's so cool. I think we've hardly scratched the surface of what could, could come out of this, um, this information and this uh, connection between the worlds. So those are, those are some thoughts. Awesome. Yeah, I certainly share that enthusiasm for for the potential. And I, those are a lot of great examples of things that ran like experiments. And it seems like Swedenborg was following the or, or and observing things that were similar to the protocol of his time. He, well, he didn't really describe the complexity of how a lot of those spiritual things you mentioned happened. But it seemed like in Swedenborg's day, there was a little, it wasn't quite as developed the the scientific method like hypotheses test remove control factors all that whatever goes in there um so i wonder it's i'm sure it's advanced since now but he does seem to say when he'll tell you like oh when hell receives a truth it turns it it turns it into its opposite i knew this because i watched as they let down a truth from heaven and it moved through the different layers of heaven then down into the top layer of hell then the middle layer and by the time it reached the bottom it was the complete opposite so it is it is true that there's a lot of observation and there's not a lot of well i'm just going to tell you it's always him learning it through experience and who knows how he doesn't describe a ton how regimented that was but it seems like there's it, you learn there empirically like you learn here. Karin, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Before we do, I just want to give an update that Stephanie gave in honor of Cassidy. Stephen gave. Deborah gave in honor of Ferdinand. And then Sharon gave. And with that, we're up to 9,804. Wow. We are... We're Thank really you. close. We are really close. I'm saying you're going to get the games no matter what. We're doing the games no matter what. And we also have 100 donors in our Summit Challenge campaign this month. So thank you so much, everybody. Man, that's great. Karin, what, what, what thoughts do you have on this before we get to our raffle? Yeah, I do think that in the spiritual world, the, the primary way of learning is experiential you know, they, they will be taught things, uh, you know, intellectual concepts, but the real learning has to uh, in, include experiential learning. And like some things you two were describing, there, there are very vivid things that can be done and observed that are really teaching, like really driving home what the reality, the reality is about any given uh, subject or, you know, or, or how things work. And so I do think there's a lot of experimentation and um, doing and observing that that informs people in the spiritual world. Like they, there's uh, other descriptions I can remember are just, um, you know, do, doing something or saying something and then observing what happens in the surroundings, what changes are taking place, because that is telling them, you know, that is helping them measure the quality of those thoughts and feelings or um, certain scriptures being read, what are the effect on spirits nearby? You know, what is that telling us about that community or, um, something like that? Uh, so I think there, there is a lot of observation and, and very like really (laughs) vivid ways of getting what is going on through those things. I remember one, 
I can't remember it clearly. I remember a description of something unrolling and sort of dipping down into something as if it was like a, what is that? You, you dip something in to measure the like chemical. Yeah. Um, um, like a, a little test strip that does pH or something. You have to do it in yes. a it was something like that. And it was something about measuring something, you know, whether it was true or not or something, but it was sounded very scientific. So yes, I think there's going to be a lot of fascinating science in the afterlife. Litmus test. The, yeah. the booth is telling me that's a litmus test. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jonathan, do you want to add something to that? Yeah. Just a, a quick thought that, um, I don't know if it's the same thing that Karen's thinking of because there are several things like this, but there was one I remember that were they were blue and white. Uh, there was some blue and white object that was very hard to edit or translate that Swedenborg was describing that was not only a test for how much falsity was in the air. So you could sort of hold this up to see what was, you know, test the air quality, but the strips would also actually have a, a remedial effect on whatever was bad. So it was both like something that would test it, but would also correct it. It would take some of the falsity out, out of the atmosphere. So it seems like there's some cool technology that arises out of that science in the spiritual world. And I get the impression that their science is hundreds of years ahead of ours. Yeah, I want a quick add because he did ask if we have that technique in this world, then people could actually verify spirit mechanisms. I, I know that just the little thing I can think of is I, I do think some people can incorporate a bit of if they are having a spiritual experience, test the spirit sort of thing. Like there's there are things that you could experiment with, like some people do say the name of Jesus and see what <laughs> what this uh, spirit reacts like or something like that. Um, a little bit of experimentation, whether this is a maybe a spirit you, that would be a, a little bit dangerous or if it is somebody friendly, um, there might be things along that line to just test the start to test the quality of whatever is happening. Just some thoughts. Way more testing going on that I really would have thought offhand. So I, I'm enjoying this discussion very much. Thanks so much, Boyan, for bringing that up. And we want to say thanks again to everybody. We do this every time. It's our monthly donor raffle. This is where we give you something, just a little something to say thanks. So thanks to everybody who contributed to us this month. We actually have a gigantic list for everyone who's donated to Off the Left Eye in September. Thank you. This is what allows us to subsist and do what we do as a not-for-profit organization. So all the impact that's happening here, that's because of you. So thank you. And a way we want to say that tangibly is to raffle off a couple of free Swedenborg pieces of swag. And the first one is our all donor raffle. So every single name that was on that list, you were entered electronically into a raffle to win a prize. And that played out like this. We have Wanda Sinisfat, who is picking up either the audiobook Heaven and Hell or the paperback of the portable NCE edition, Heaven and Hell, which I was just reading that very paperback portable edition the other day and continually amazed at just how much, how much amazing food there is in Heaven and Hell. The next raffle, so thank you so much. The next raffle is our new donor raffle. So if this was if you donated to us for the very first time, 
this month, you are entered into this. And the winner of that one was bum, 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 bum. Kathleen Eckberg. You will be getting Divine Love and Wisdom paperback or the audio book, an awesome walkthrough of why everything is the way that it is. And finally, so thank you, Kathleen. Finally, we have our recurring donor raffle. If you signed up to support us every month, that means the world to us and our ability to have stability and project out what we're going to do. So you're entered into your own kind of raffle. And the winner this month for the recurring donor raffle is Philip Amsterdam. And you get Divine Providence, the guidebook to why life is the way it is, either paperback or audiobook, your choice. Thank you so much everybody who donated. If you want to be on that list for next month, go to offtoleftdie.com slash donate, and you can help us get all the way to our full 10,000 here for the Summit Challenge, which will allow us to pick up that matching gift, which is really going to be a big deal to us trying to do uh, what we need to do. All right, let's do the next question. This is from Gabrielle, who asks... What's the difference between your spirit, your soul, your oversoul, and your higher self? What's going on? Which bone is connected to the which bone? You could say that. Karin, what's the internal makeup of a conscious human? Well, um, only two of those terms are things that I actually find in Swedenborg, and that's spirit and soul. And it's interesting that there are some uh, people or mystics that actually f- flip those words uh, into into a different order than Swedenborg uses them. Um, often Swedenborg uses the word spirit kind of interchangeably with soul, but uh, the a specific place I remember finding it, he was definitely using the soul as the deeper, more uncorruptible part of us and the spirit more as the our freely chosen mind you know, equates spirit with mind as we are building our mind in this life through our choices and our, our uh, the kinds of thoughts and feelings that we we uh, invite in and, and focus on. We're building a, a mind and that is our spirit. That is our, our freely chosen um, selfhood. And then there's a soul that sometimes he'll mention is is something deeper that where the life force from God comes in and 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 uh, enters us. Um, Oversoul is not a term I've found in Swedenborg. I wonder, uh, sometimes I've wondered, as I've read that used in other um, uh, spiritual uh, philosophies, if if that is, can be equated with kind of your, your, uh, the community, a spiritual community that you belong to, because it, it kind of has this um, idea of a plurality um, in, in some ways that I've read it, um, higher self is a term that, um, well, there is this, uh, this, um, most pure inner identity that we have is this gateway to God where God enters us and is really that selfhood (laughs) is, um, is actually, uh, a piece of God, like a, a, a feeling from God that, that we that started us out is the spark that started us out and cannot be corrupted and it's this gateway that god enters us um and that's kind of beyond our consciousness uh but 
but these terms can be used in so many different ways. It's a little confusing to talk about them because <laughs> even as I'm trying to define each one and relate a Swedenborg uh, view on it, I'm tripping up here because higher self could also be used for soul. And so it's a little bit hard, but the yeah. main, main things that we find are spirit are this freely chosen mind that we're building. And then a deeper place that's kind of beyond our consciousness. That's where, where God dwells. Well, I think it's a great comprehensive description that you gave there. And whenever we as a team have tried to do the work to investigate what current terminology is saying about spiritual phenomena, like you mentioned, oversoul, and look for what parallels or equivalents there are in Swedenborg's works. It's always been a really fruitful journey. It's not to say that everything that is in modern spirituality Swedenborg agrees with, but there's often really fascinating connections there. We did an episode about reincarnation that, that had these sort of areas where Swedenborg agreed and disagreed with uh, what, what people are saying about it currently and historically. And it's funny, I was just going to comment before I kick it to Jonathan on the, the higher self, because Swedenborg doesn't really talk about a higher self, but he talks about an inner self. But Swedenborg says, with spiritually, inner things are higher that when you go inside, it is going higher spiritually. So technically that's kind of like the same. So I, I agree though, that there's, there's a lot of terminology when we're describing things that we can't just put under the microscope anytime. It is hard to make it fit, but I thought that was an admirable effort. Uh, Jonathan, what's this stirring up for you? Yeah, I, I like the, the question. It's so, um, interesting to try to figure out what these different levels are and how are they identical or is one inside the other. And um, uh, in some ways, Swedenborg's presentation lends itself well to that idea of, oh, look here, he listed three things. Okay, this one's inside this one, this one's inside that one. But then you see another passage and he uses different language and it's like, well, I don't know if that is the same as number two and on this one, and and you try to diagram it, it actually gets kind of difficult. I've done a specific study of his use of the word spirit and soul, and just as Karen says, um, often they are simply equivalent to each other. He'll often use the expression spirit or soul, spirit or soul, it, you know, does it over and over again. But then other times, no, the soul is higher and, and within the spirit, um, there's a, an amazing, uh, the memorable occurrences, or the older translations used to refer to them as memorable relations about the nature of the soul and people being asked in the other world, where is the soul and what does it look like? What, what is it? And the kind of, to, you know, spoiler alert, um, by the end of the thing, the, the, the person who's heading up the, the whole uh, session uh, explained basically it's like that this will date me but there was an old ad years and years ago where they'd say you know you're you're soaking in it um you we're we're you're you're wearing if you're in the spiritual world you're you're wearing your soul your soul is your entire self in in that world it has a you know head and a torso and extremities and everything all the parts and and um uh, Swedenborg uses these different Latin terms. There's interior, which is the same in English as interior. Uh, 
uh, then there will be intimum, which is an inmost. But then he has another comparative, intimior, which is seemingly even more inmost or, or something, or maybe it's not quite as inmost, but it's quite inmost or something. It, it gets hard to, to map it, uh, what's going on in there. I think the main idea that's really important is that it's multi-leveled. And really, any level you look at, there are more levels to it. Like I think about the inner self that you you were talking about a moment ago, um, uh, and the higher self and so on. Well, Swedenborg, sometimes he says, um, people think that their inner self is their mind or their spirit, and then their outer self is their body. But he says, oh, no, your, your spirit is multi-leveled all by itself. Forget the body. It, it's got multiple levels to it. And you realize this when you go to the other world, because you still have a body, you have a spiritual body, but there are deeper levels to you still. Um, and the most important thing about having multiple levels is what you can do with them. And the exciting thing that multiple levels let you do is look down from the balcony on the next level down. So when you, the, the, the thing that's great about having this level of your mind is that from it, you can see what's going on in this level of the mind. And if you want to see this one, you even go up higher. So it, it helps us gain an understanding of ourselves. And even though we may be distressed by what we see in ourselves, when we look at the next level down, if you can see it, you are not entirely it, if you see what I mean. There's a part of you that isn't that, or else you wouldn't be able to see it. If it filled you, it'd be like a fish in water. You 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 wouldn't even know what it was. But but the fact that you can see it means that there's some part of you that's higher than that. So those are some thoughts. Awesome. So, so many things that I'd love to talk for a couple of hours about in there. One was the way that Swedenborg will. Well, this is something you both mentioned that he sometimes will swap things out and seem to he'll he'll give a really technical definition for something in one place, but then later be talking about that same thing that he defined redefined technically over here in the common way that we use the word. I can't remember what the exact example was, but just recently I was really reading him. I was reading something where he's using some ways like faith or love or something and using it clearly in just the common meaning, not his technical definition that he had given. And I said, I was like, I, I get what you're saying here, but you're not doing the Swedenborg thing. Or that was my perception. And I, I had this really uh, important insight, Jonathan, that you gave me when you recently, when you were telling me that Latin, the language that he wrote in has like 15 times fewer words than English does. And so he had a smaller tool belt from which to pull words. So it could be that there's a limitation there that led to this. Anyway, it's all very fascinating. I appreciate the answers both of you gave. And I just got to say something. Thank you to Anonymous, who made a contribution. And then thank you to Jonathan, who made a contribution. And with both of those, we are, oh, David gave as well, while we were sitting here. So, and David was in honor of, in memory of Marjorie. So we are now 9,929. We are wow. 71 wow. <laughs> away from 
I didn't think we would be breaking this tonight, but we sure could. Off to lefteye.com slash donate. If you want to have a magical moment, we're going to do the games either way. Thank you, everybody. That's really awesome. Let's see if we can get another question or two in here before it's the game's time. This is from Sean Smith, who asks, I have been aware of the evil in the world since my childhood, but others seem to be fine with the way things are. Is the collective awareness of evil kept in equilibrium the same way that we are? I never thought of that. Swedenborg has this concept that inside each one of us, there is an equilibrium. So heaven is is pulling on you to kind of live a heavenly life and hell is pulling on you to live a hellish life. And they balance each other out so that we can have the freedom to, to choose one or the other. So the force of neither one overwhelms us but is there a grand scale equilibrium particularly on how much we notice how bad how, our threshold for for tolerating things that aren't how they should be so uh jonathan yeah what, what do you think well it's a very interesting challenging question i've never reflected on that before the um equilibrium that swedenborg describes is something that can change over time with us, you know, it, it evolves. Uh, I, it's a fascinating idea, but my off the cuff response would be, I don't think so for this reason that the way I understand the whole roadmap of where this whole reality is going is that things are supposed to get better and better and better. Like they were, worse before and they're supposed to get better in the future. And uh, for that to be the case, I would think it couldn't be that there's a counterbalancing. So there's a, the same amount. If you added it all up, it would come out to zero. You know, if you added all the negative values and all the positive values, it would, it would come out to, they would cancel each other out. I, I don't think so. At least I'm hopeful that over time there'll be more and more positive values and fewer, fewer, fewer negative values. If I'm, not completely babbling here, um, uh, so that over time we can we can improve and uh, as a as a human race and and get better, like overcome, come into more awareness. The awareness of evil is a very important thing. I think of that statement in Isaiah about Jesus that that uh, so he would could um, refuse the evil and choose the good. You know it, the. You, you need to know some things to to do that. So I think the, the awareness is very, very important. Um, but I'm going to keep thinking about it. How about that? Evils have to be seen before they can be removed. I know that's a quote from Swedenborg. So us waking up to an extent and saying, oh, that's not good. This shouldn't be like this. Life shouldn't be like this. And you have to balance that with you can't constantly take the weight of all the negative stuff in the world it's easy for us to get through news filters just see uh seven billion people's worth of suffering and without necessarily the the good to counterbalance and it can feel overwhelming so it's not about getting crushed by that but the more that we're just noticing this isn't this isn't right the more people are vocal about it i think that's really important um 
So, Karin, yeah, do you want to add to it? And then I think let's try to get this next question in because I'm really fascinated to do it as well. Okay, yeah, I'll just add on that. Yeah, it doesn't seem to me there'd have to be an equilibrium of some people aware, more aware of evil and some people not, but it might just be evidence that we all are different kinds of people and and the entirety needs all sorts of different kinds of people. And I think some kinds of people are just naturally going to be more aware or a little more empathic or or more aware, more noticing different things. And so I think it might just be some uh, clue to <laughs> who you are, Sean, that just, uh, you know, something to do with your your long-term role in life and, and just think what, what, uh, what uh, can you do with that uh, trait that you notice in yourself? Yeah, cool. Very good. Thank you, Sean, for that question. So let's, let's do a quick answer here. I'll, I'll let each of you give a quick comment on this one uh, from Nancy Lindman, because well, I'll read the question first. For those of, those of us common folk, not doctors, lawyers, etc., how are we to know and develop our skills, which may or may not be of use in the hereafter? And Sweetmore was really vocal about the value of what you're talking of, of common folk, as you're saying here, and importance of the heart. So yeah, Karin, Karin, what would you say to this? I'd say it's definitely not something to worry at all about, because the, the only thing we need to be doing is just to find the ways, big or small, that we can be of service to others. It might be a complex, impressive seeming career, or it might be just you're a person in your neighborhood who who notices when someone needs a helping hand or or is good at welcoming people into your home or whatever it may be. Uh, what Whenever you are just looking for the ways to be of service in any way, big or small, you are developing yourself as a person and God is going to be guiding that towards a, a very potent and satisfying uh, eternal use. So you don't have to worry about it at all. Yeah, it's a very, again, a super interesting question. And um, I, I love this question and thinking about the long term. Swedenborg says it's really great to think about eternity, you know, like to consider the life after death and not just get wrapped up in, in what's going on here. So, to try to think about, to, to me, behind the question lies the idea of trying to position ourselves well for, you know, for the afterlife and so on. And uh, as Karn was saying, we're all our own unique love and understanding. From what I read, the, the most important things to develop to the extent that we can would be compassion and love of learning. And, and uh, even love of learning is not essential in everyone, but... Uh, the, the appetite for learning, like an interest, a curiosity, those sorts of things, and also compassion for people, understanding what others go through. Those are like folders, like vessels from the Old Testament or something that can be endlessly filled with, with oil. So they don't necessarily get all filled in this world, but if you can create that appetite, it's the appetite that will be satisfied in the afterlife. Absolutely. And I, I will just say, I know I said I wasn't going to say anything about it, but Swedenborg talks about people, Swedenborg was highly educated, but constantly sings the praises of people of all levels of education that have good hearts, that really you, you can be very highly educated and very proficient in things. If you're, if, you, if you're not loving people and that's not the drive, you end up with, with, with not a lot of capacity uh, to do useful things. And if you're somebody who 
didn't even even didn't have a ton of formal education, but yet you cultivate that love that grows not just into you can do nice things, but you become really wise and it, all that comes with it. So it's everybody has equal opportunity to access the heart. And that's what really goes on there. OK, we're a little bit behind schedule, but let that's fine. We got time. So let's let's kick it over to you, Karin, for the Thought Brings Presence segment where we can honor people um, who we're thinking about. Yeah, will do. Um, I'm going to start by reading a short quote by Helen Keller. And she once wrote, our beloved ones have not gone to a far country. It is only the, the veil of sense that separates them from us. And even that veil grows thin when our thoughts reach out to them. So our loved ones are close by. They have not gone far away. And here are some people you are thinking of. Uh, that you are sharing with us, people who have passed on, but you're, they're still in your hearts and minds. Um, Richard Webster was thinking of my mother. My mother, my guardian angel, saved my life in the Vietnam War, 1968. Candace Griffiths is thinking of Len Griffiths. My husband, Len, love you forever, carrying you with me always. I'm not a widow. I'm forever your wife. Donald Davis, thinking of two nieces and Aunt Audrey, I have lost two beautiful nieces, Audrey, just a month ago. I miss them. Samuel Perkins is thinking of my father, Nathan Reisdorf. He passed away on January 29th this year. I have been struggling with the loss and with the loss and found your videos during the roughest of times. Your videos helped me out a lot. Please keep my dad, Nathan, in your prayers. Thanks, guys. The Cube is thinking of Cindy Wade my cousin who left her physical body 10 years ago. Sherry Robbins, thinking of my daddy, Larry Ranger Buck Robbins. He passed on January 10th, 2020 at age 77. He is my hero. Peter K. NYK, thinking of Benji and Robin. Hello, Benji, Benji and Robin, my lovelies in spirit. And Kelly Randolph, thinking of in 2014, my son went home to be with the Lord. I was going to church every day, but I watch your videos in the evenings. It's helped me. You never get over missing your child. I am grateful for your videos. Aw, thinking of all those dear people with you, sending love and prayers to you all. Thank you for being willing to share the, the memories that you have with them and the connection that's still very much ongoing. So really appreciate it. We're gonna do the games. We're going to get to the games. I do want to say before that, that um, oh, we, we had an anonymous donation come in, which it was in memory of Anne-Marie, which had brought us up to 9,979. And I was going to plug that we're only $21 away, but we just had an anonymous donation of $21. So we're up to $10,000 for the summer. Uh, yay. Thank you so much. That means we get the full <laughs> matching grant. Thank you, everybody. Uh, that was awesome. <laughs> Let's do some games to celebrate, right? Yeah. More than games. Okay. We do. We oh, yeah. It so much. Just the contribution that you would take your hard-earned money and put it into this venture that we're all doing together. Not only speaks to you know we, we take it as a as a great honor and vote of confidence and, and just a great kindness, but it's so encouraging for all of us to see that all of you believe in the message here as well and that you're excited to have it reach the next person we just saw on that tribute wall people being 
moved and helped even in the toughest of times by some of the message in Swedenborg's writing. So you are the ones that are making that get out to the next person. So thank you very much. Okay, here comes the first game that we're going to play, which is called Grading Swedenbot. Okay. Yeah, this is a game in which uh, we have, I'm hosting because Chelsea's not here. So this is a game in which we have fed some text from Swedenborg's writings into an AI machine. And we call that machine Swedenbot. And then he tries to conjure from that some sentences that he thinks will sound like Swedenborg. So we grade him on how well he has done. And here are some of his attempts. Okay. First one. The fact is that the Lord's human nature is divine. Now, I think that's pretty good. That's pretty, that's pretty good. I mean, yeah. it's theologically accurate, yeah. I would say, yep. right? That's a point. That's actually a, a sort of a novel point that he makes. That's a, a, a sort of a Swedenborg calling card. The fact is, I mean, there's th that pulls up in translations at times. I mean, this is like almost Jonathan. I think it's almost smelling like an A. What do you think? Yeah, I I would agree because it depends on what went before. But if he's been talking about, you know, I mean, I know this is Swedenborg, but if uh, Swedenborg's talking about people have this view or that view, and then he'll say, the fact is, though, that you know. That human nature actually is divine. People think he was just like another human being, but there's more to it than that. Okay, let's let's say A. We want to give you yeah. an A, Swedenbot. Good job. I agree. Good job, Swedenbot. <laughs> What's he got for us next? The angel answered, "It is a mystery that you may be saved." <laughs> so it knew how to quote. <laughs> An angel and that, that an angel would be the one speaking is very, very technically impressive. But, but the, it's however, <laughs> to get inside of this, the quote, right? Yeah, it's, it's a mystery that you may be saved. Almost sounds like the angel is kind of looking at, I, I think he was talking to Swedenborg. I don't know who the angel is talking to, but just wondering. <laughs> It's a mystery that you may be saved. Is that <laughs> sounds uh, not quite angelic to me? It's it's hard to tell exactly what is being <laughs> said there. Like good luck or something, <laughs> um, you know, or, or or is the possibility of salvation a, a mystery? Um, Swedenborg's capable of saying some mind-boggling and difficult things, but this is a different kind of. Difficult. I would not grade this very highly. Yeah, it's it's almost just trying to sound clever, but also it just seems like a standard. Oops, we missed the last step grammatically. Like we're walking. Something is not quite lining up. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I think we could give. It's gonna be a C or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah, because and also Swedenborg's big on that. These are. It doesn't have to be a mystery. <laughs> like he talks. You know, like the angels are, and he are talking about how it's it's not a mystery because the Lord has created this way, this path of regeneration. That uh, that's that's how we are saved. You know, we 
how we are recreated and reborn. So I think this isn't quite on, yeah, maybe a C, maybe. Yeah. If it said the angel answered it is a mystery that you may explore for yourself or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that would make more sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> a solid C though. A good C. You okay with that, Curtis? I am going to put my stamp of approval on that grade. The red pen. And then I think we have one more. Now, this one, it depends on the tone, but when I first saw this one, the tone sounded to me like, the Lord does not appear to be present in the word, and it made me chuckle. Um, I don't, how does the sentence strike you guys? <laughs> uh, man, it is funny, but then again, it's true, like, in the, if, if he's talking, well, he's talking about the word as the literal sense of the word. I could see him saying that, right? Yeah, right. And and uh, if the emphasis is on appear to be, because he actually is the word and is absolutely present in the inmost level of the word, but but doesn't appear to be present in it, you could get away with that. Um, it might be a B, maybe. Uh, I'm thinking a B. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Let's yeah, call it. you can say that the Lord might not appear to be present in the word, but if you understand <laughs> how the word is written and how that works, then you can find <laughs> the Lord's presence. Yeah, so pretty good, Swedenbot. I have to quick read you one of the ones that was an F <laughs> that Swedenbot said, which in which Swedenbot wrote, the Lord's word is also called the South, the East, the West, and South, and the South. just to prove yeah that sounds a little more like you know that game (laughs) where you text someone just by pushing the middle suggest button over and over again in your texting app so it will just whatever word it and you come up with something really disjointed and repetitive like that so it sounds like sweden bot maybe got stuck uh sitting on his phone or something Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. Excellent game. We're going to move on to our next one, which is again going to be led by Karin. And this one is Guess That Swedenborg Phrase. All right. In this game, uh, we have a phrase that is a real Swedenborg quote. And Curtis and Jonathan are going to take turns guessing letters. And for every uh, consonant that is correct, they get five points. And for every vowel that is correct, they get one point. And whoever guesses the phrase gets 20 points. And for each, in each turn, you have a chance to guess if you want. But if you guess wrong, you're out of the game. So use that wisely. But we can begin. I guess we begin with Curtis. Okay. No, no rash guessing, because if I'm out of the game, it's That's just right. Jonathan. Okay. I'm gonna start out by guessing T. Yes, there are four T's. Good first one. All right. Do you want to guess? No. Nope. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just stay put. 
Jonathan, what do you guess? Well, I'll just take an H. Ah, good. There's five H's. And everyone in the chat can be trying to guess too. All right. Yeah, Still a little early to guess. So we'll go on to Curtis. But don't guess before we guess. That would be humiliating. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to say A. No A's. Mm. Wait, I didn't, you didn't let me finish. <laughs> too late, too late, Jonathan. <laughs> How about a C? Yes, two C's. All right. Aha. Uh -huh. Curtis, what would you like to guess? Okay. Um, well, then I'm going to guess R. There is one R. Oh, that's not where I thought it would be. Yeah, okay. Jonathan. A W? Yep, one W. So far, no theological giveaway words. Okay, so I, so we've got <laughs> which there, which has like church, which is the and which. So yeah, it's all, it's all a mystery. Okay, so, so then, um, well, I'm going to guess E. Let's open the board up. Oh, seven E's. That was a good one. That was the right vowel to guess. <laughs> okay, so start, I'm not. I'm definitely not going to guess, but starting yeah. to get a little more, uh, a little more distinct. Yes, Jonathan. Gosh, confusing. How about a D? Three D's. Okay, then I'm going to say N. Three N's. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm done, of course. Okay, Jonathan. X. There is an X. It should be more than five points for an X. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. I know. You should get extra points for that. <laughs> right, yeah. Kurt, Curtis. <laughs> Scrabble rules, right? Okay. I. Yes. Five eyes, I think. All right. Some more words coming into okay, okay. Next. Jonathan. L. Yes, two L's. Look at that second word. Um S. Four S's. Okay. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I think, have I taken too long? Cause I think I could guess it. You, you can go for it. Give it a try. The universe is something to which God could extend his life. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> so close. <laughs> Wow. Okay. The game. Would have answered it. Jonathan, it's your game, but let's have you guess to the end here. Okay. Shall I guess to the end? All right. V. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. How about the universe is something to which God could extend his love? 
Yes, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> well very, played. very understandable guess, Curtis. It could have gone either way. <laughs> I, I was, I was going to guess exactly what Curtis guessed. That, that was my guess too. Yeah, yeah. What Curtis spared me, so you ju jumped on that grenade. Thank you, Curtis. <laughs> You're welcome. Swedenbot would have guessed it right first. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Okay. That's true Christianity, forty-six, I think. Great. All right, we got. Let's let's move so we can do a little elevator pitch. But before we get there, I have to say something of significance. We had another donation come in. Wow. This donation was from Forest and Family, and it was for ten thousand dollars. What? So what I'm not that talking is about. Astonishing. The, I'm not talking about the ten thousand dollar matching. I'm talking about we raised, we finished raising ten thousand dollars. There's a ten thousand matching, and then this gift just generously <laughs> came in. So there's a total wow. of thirty thousand raised for the summit challenge. Oh my goodness! Thank you. So, <laughs> wow, it's, it's the least we can do. But um, we'll do this uh, this game next game in honor of uh, of Forest and family. It'll be hard to concentrate, but that's powerful. Thank you, and here's the elevator pitch. <clears throat> okay, no time to waste. Everyone knows how this game works. Let's see who's gonna be the first pitcher. Oh man, tensions up. Jonathan is talking about marriage, love. We're getting onto an elevator, and naturally we ask, excuse me, sir, could you tell me a little bit about Marriage love as described by Swedenborg. So what uh, what do you say, Jonathan? I'll give you your countdown. Three, two, one, bing. Isn't it true that so many people are in love with love? There's an idea in our minds that there's a special someone for us. There's there's someone with whom we could fit so closely or or be so connected with uh, um, and this is in all cultures it's in literature it's in movies it's in poetry and music it seems like it's one of the kind of defining things about about um, uh, the the whole human existence and Swedenborg says that there's a thing called marriage love that used to be very strong in our planet and can come back. It's the most heavenly version of this in which love and wisdom come together and unite two souls as one. Ooh, yeah, it was it was informational yet cinematic. It had a yeah. flow, it had a structure. <laughs> it had romance, it had <laughs> it a romantic comedy. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we only have 27 seconds, but let's do it. Let's give let's give one more elevator pitch. Let's see who it's going to be quickly. Uh, so the next one is just Karen and Curtis. There can only be okay. We're stopping now. <laughs> nope, you're not getting out of it. You're not getting out of it that easy. <laughs> okay, so this is Curtis Resurrection. We're talking about resurrection. Let's go. Three, two, one. If you look out in nature, you will see these beautiful cycles and you will see this constant theme and this constant refrain of a return to life. Everything that dies 
becomes part of the soil, which allows new life. Plants that you think have given up and shriveled away because you see what's above the ground and it looks like it's brown and it's dead. The next spring, spring up with this because there was life in there that never really went away. And that's the thing about life, it never really goes away. With all of us, we go through our own resurrection where you can see, it seems like somebody's dead and gone because their body no longer can move and live and, and, and hug, but they're actually, their spirit is alive right now, springing up like the plant, even though we can't see where that life is, they're there. This is a pattern that's so universal that even Jesus Christ, the emanation of God, went through this resurrection to show us the truth of it. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't know if it awesome. was like the, the like the Jesus's resurrection or everybody's, but the elevator person doesn't care about that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's um let's wrap it up. Thanks, everybody. Uh gosh. We were speechless with the amount, like all, all the donations that came in tonight were just incredible. This has gone way above and beyond. Um what we were ever hoping to, to, to fill out the donations tonight was awesome. The matching gift was awesome. This huge, very generous gift that came at the end. All of this, we are going to put right into bringing this material out into the world and, and really trying to build something that is going to deliver that life-changing material that's moved to all of us so much in ways that are really going to affect people. And so, so that's what we're up to all the time. Uh, we thank you all for your patience as we do some little bit of retooling and, and, and making our content better. We will be back with YouTube videos and podcasts soon and a number of other exciting projects as we do a little R&D on those. We're really getting pumped up about what's coming there. And it's our, our attempt to do the justice to these awesome concepts. Hopefully you've enjoyed this bit of content here tonight. I know I have. And a big reason I did is because of Karin and Jonathan, our excellent panelists. Thank you so much, Jonathan. It was a pleasure getting to, to see you and, and to hear a little bit of your, your knowledge and wisdom. It's a great privilege to be on the show and what an amazing evening we all had together. It, it's been amazing. Thank you. Karin, it's been a pleasure as well get, getting to hear your insights and, and the results of your research. Thanks for hanging out. Oh, my pleasure. It's a delight. Thanks, everyone, for your donations and your presence and your questions and talking to each other in the chat. It's it's just wonderful to hang out with you. Really, really sharp, insightful questions and an awesome, just an awesome crowd and an awesome vibe to do this around. So thank you, everybody. Let's uh, let's take what we learned here today and go out, apply it to the world and and, and get everyone to, to see more and more of what's good about life and, and move ourselves in that direction. Thanks everyone. We'll see you soon.